Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Blake. And you're listening to Action, the movie podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode eight. Uh, for our first time listeners, um, you know, the general plot of the uh, podcast is Steve and I each take turns picking a movie and we don't discuss it in any way, shape or form until we actually record the podcast. So whenever we're talking about it, it's our first time hearing each other's thoughts and feelings on the movie. And we do that so that each of us don't uh, influence the other's opinions because by the end of each episode, we will give it a numerical rating of one through five of a standard rating scale. And so today was my pick or this episode was my pick. And I chose a comedy horror drama, I guess it's It's called sink. (laughs) It's called psycho beach party. Now, it originally came out, I think it started in Sundance in January 2000. It was pretty big, and then it got bought and optioned. And the year later, it started, got a wider release. It was directed by Robert Lee King and written by a gentleman named uh, Charles Bush. And now what initially drew me to this movie is many, many, many moons ago, I saw a brief part of this movie on a... It's saying at someone's house, we were flipping through channels. And I saw a bit of this movie and I thought it was bonkers. And at the time, I wasn't a fan of anybody in the movie. And I was like, what is this movie? And I kind of just it faded into obscurity. And then I became a fan of some of the individuals in the movie and kind of like scrolling through their IMDb's trying to figure out uh, what are the movies and TV shows have these people been in? And I was like, what is that movie? Like, and I came across a movie that looked strangely familiar. And I was like, oh, man, this is that movie I saw when I was like 13 years old and completely forgot about. Took you a decade to find it or more or more. (laughs) I don't remember exactly how long. And so I ended up finally watching it and I really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, man, this movie's real funny. And it was by that time I'd become a big fan of everybody in the movie because it's all people who got bigger later later. And so I was really excited to, especially to rewatch it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what about you, Steve? What, uh, what drew you to the, to this film? Like, I'm glad you asked me this. Uh, what drew me to this movie is because you told me to watch it. So what I was talking about is uh, the kind of general plot synopsis of this movie is it is a sixties beach movie mixed in with a 70s psychodrama mixed in with an 80s slasher style and so kind of what happens is we start on like a you know standard high school beachfront in the 1950s yeah we're doing cool stuff surfing and then terror strikes on this gorgeous beachfront property a uh, a murder has occurred and so we have to try and figure out 
how this kind of murder came to be. And so as this is going on, it starts dipping into the lives of the, you know, the crew revolving around this little surfer gang and this, um, the main character who's nicknamed Chicklet by these surfer dudes. And they're all involvement in each other's lives and trying to semi solve these murders while uncovering some more or less disturbing secrets. So now with that little plot synapses out of the way, uh, we're um, I'm going to do a spoiler warning right here because we will be doing a deep dive into this film. So if you have not seen the movie, please pause now and go watch the movie because otherwise we were going to spoil so 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 much for you. Probably all the all the deaths and stuff like that. And so, as I said earlier, it was directed by a gentleman uh, Robert Lee King. Now he hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't read. He's only done four things counting this, and I didn't recognize mm-hmm. any of it. It was two shorts, this, and another movie called Bad Actress. Yeah, Bad Actress about a woman who, a failing actress who gets thrown back in the limelight after she gets caught murdering her husband or something like that. And the star of it is uh, the lady that was in this that played yeah, her, her uh, mother's mom. Yeah, not really. The Beth. Or something or so that's Broderick. Did that come after this movie or before? 2011. Okay. 11 yeah. years later. 11 years later. Golly. Yeah, and, and that's it. He's only done those four things. And now it's 10 years later, and he hasn't done anything since. So mm, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Struggling director, I guess. It's tough. It's tough to make movies. Did I and, didn't really look or find anything? Like, did he just drop out of the game, or has he not been hired? Or I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't really see anything that spoke otherwise. I think maybe he might be more into like. Because I know the the writer of the movie, the gentleman uh, Charles Bush, is more known for his uh, screenplay writing, or not screenplay writing, but his playwright. Play, yeah. And he's done bukus of plays. And I, I don't know much about plays or Broadway or anything like that. I'll be frank. I, I don't. It's not my cup of tea. I'm sure it's fantastic. All the people that do that stuff, that's just never me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you you do do plays at all, Steve? No, I mean you know we kind of started out. Those were some of the first things Jeff Jeff did some plays when we were in Evansville, and so I I didn't ever write any. I wasn't ever really into it, but Jeff was really into it to begin with. And the main actor of uh, of our movie Blind, uh, Stephen Jackson, he was real big into the like repertory theater, you know type uh, community in in Evansville and so I was kind of you know uh knew about it and kind of hung around it a little bit but now I never really got into plays and, and things like that I, I mean just stage directions things like that I, I don't know it just always seemed odd to me but but yeah it's a uh, you can tell I mean in this movie too just that it was a play you know I don't, I don't know about you but I could really tell it while I was as I was watching it you could definitely tell and uh yeah. that was similar to easy eh? Yeah, Easy A was written by a screenwriter as a movie. Well, this was a screenplay or a, an actual play, stage play turned into a movie and they had to augment some things. Now, interesting side note before I kind of delve into it is the gentleman, Charles Bush, actually, one of his main credits is he is a, uh, I believe he's a drag queen. He's a female impersonator. In real life, in real life, oh. yes, mm-hmm. as well as a bunch of other things. So that, so that stuff in the movie, I thought you could you get to the character. Is that him? It's one hundred percent him. Okay, uh, but they created that role for the movie for him. 
because uh, normally in the during the play he played Chicklet. He yeah. was Chicklet huh. in the in the stage play, but then when they came to make a movie, he's like. I'm a little too old to be playing a 16 year old girl. And so <laughs> working with the director and himself, they created the, the character of uh, Captain Marnie. Monica. Monica. Yeah. When, when I read that, I was wondering, you know, I, I, it made me want to see the play. Cause I, I wonder how it would work without that character, you know, without the character of uh, Monica Stark. Cause she, she's quite a bit of comedy. Yeah. And it seems like it's like, a big part of the movie, you know, a big part of the story. She kind of pushes it along, you know. It's pretty seamless, so, actually. Her uh, integration into the uh, into the film, I felt. Yeah, so I wouldn't not even seen the play. That character. Yeah, I guess it would be almost nearly impossible to see any kind of video of a of a of one of the performances. I bet. We, I mean, YouTube, YouTube the internet, like a deep you dive on YouTube something. might have found somebody that recorded it. Yeah, and so they kind of do a. A kind of funny thing in the the beginning of the movie where they do that that fake thing of a movie within a movie mm-hmm. and i thought that was pretty enjoyable it also introduces us to a character who will become slightly more important later on in the movie and she plays a she's a pretty good little actress you're talking about the Bettina or whatever yeah Bettina biddles or whatever barnes. she was barnes Bettina barnes she was pretty fun one going back to the play i, I thought that was pretty neat um it was originally called Gidget Goes Psychotic. Yeah. Did you, and, and you know, there's a movie in 1959 called Gidget. And then obviously that was Sally Field. The first thing that she ever did was the TV show of Gidget um, before The Flying Nun and stuff like that. But, you know, Sally Field, well, Gidget was a movie and then they turned it into a TV show and Sally Field was Gidget. And obviously, you know, he really based this thing off of that. I don't know if you read much about Gidget, but just she was kind of the same thing, like a tomboyish type character that wanted to learn how to surf. And, but, uh, but they, they changed the name because they, they kind of put their feelers out there whenever they, this started getting popular, this play. And it, so they kind of put their feelers out there and uh, universal uh, picture, or I'm sorry, Columbia pictures owned Gidget. And they, once they put their feelers out there, they found out that Columbia wasn't very excited about Gidget <laughs> being associated with like this type of uh, content. And so he, he did a contest. Did you see that? He did a, a name this play contest and some lady came up with a cycle beach party. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't dive too much into that. I was just watching like more of a behind the scenes of the, of the movie. I didn't watch. Yeah. I didn't go with that. That was actually pretty cool. I didn't know that. I wonder why, why he thought he could get away using that name, using the name of a of a of a character of a known character because right? it's, it's a name. Yeah, but it seems like he sounds like he stole yeah. the personality, not stole, but was using also using the personality of the character. Right, the I think that's and, what did it. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of like this is a little on the nose. Well, it's yeah. funny because in the behind the scenes stuff, when he was talking about the play, he still referred to her as Gidget. Yeah, it was a party. He's like, yeah, he's like, I played Gidget, but now that I'm you know, such so so much older, I can't pull off being a 16 year old girl. But he actually <laughs> he called her Gidget when he was talking about the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You were that kind of going into the um the part good. of the yeah. I was I was just talking about they do it, you know, it's, it's a funny little intro where it, you know, movie within a movie kind of tricks you there for a second, but in a funny way, not a misleading way. And it then it kind of pans and you see this like uh, hyper sexualized, everyone's making out at the movie theater. And we get our first, I guess, pretty good uh, 
very quickly characterization of the we're introduced to all the big heavy players, ain't we? Mm-hmm. We're introduced to uh, Chicklet and her best friend, uh, Berdine. Berdine, no. yeah. Yeah, Berdine. And uh, there's also, and okay, so Chicklet is. Go ahead. Yeah. The main character is Florence Forrester, also later nicknamed Chicklet. And she's played by the uh, good, uh, the actress Lauren Ambrose, who I've, I looked into. The only things I could really find that she had done, done. Whereas her biggest thing is six feet under, and she'll never be able to get away from that because six feet under is a phenomenal show. It was one of the yeah. highest rated HBO things. So if you're in that, you're known for that at least for a while. It's kind of faded now, but it, it would have been still hot when she made this movie, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. She, this movie was before six feet under. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, six feet under was 2001, 2006. This was 2000. So this oh, came out go. literally so, as she was starting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I don't people would have like watched each other and like, I mean, folks would look her up afterwards and go watch this really random movie. She's a bit angsty teenager and stuff like that. And then she was yeah, also in... And in, in, in just talking about Six Feet Under, you know, the creator of that was Alan Ball, the guy that wrote American Beauty, which yeah. was, you know, he won the Oscar for that for the best uh, original screenplay. And But, you know, he's, he's also homosexual. Alan Ball is. So yeah. I wonder if, you know, he, he was close with... Uh, Charles Bush, I didn't really look into this, but and saw Lauren Ambrose's performance and and kind of got her based on this, I would imagine, because you know, this movie literally was right probably right around the same time he was casting for six yeah, feet under. So I wouldn't possible. be surprised if this got her that role. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Cause they even talk because she's a, she was she did a pretty fantastic job. Oh, I mean, it's it I, I didn't I'd never seen this movie. I'd always heard of it, but I had no idea how great her performance was in this until I watched it. She she was she was phenomenal. I mean, she was, just seamlessly went from one. I mean, everybody was raving about uh, what's his name in that movie. Uh, I don't want to bring. Yes, there you go. Uh, Thanks, dude, dude, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say right now, his split performance far outdoes what she does in this movie. I, I think personally. Well, I, the thing that I liked about her performance is this, and this is because. It, she also it also had to be campy you know what i'm saying oh, yeah. so she did a good job like balancing that i thought yeah. it's, his was like, his, she role, did a his good, role was so serious exactly right i think it's hard to kind of be you know you can you can get into that character and be serious like that but she was campy and she was serious at the same time and yeah. I, I was that. i was just amazed i thought she did a really good job you ever, you ever seen have you, either one of you ever seen sybil I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, another, Jessica. Jessica got me to watch it. It's actually pretty good. It's another. It's another movie about a. It's a more serious movie too about a woman who's got a schizophrenia and she, the actress and that. When I, is I don't know. Show, isn't it right? Uh, is it right? Gosh, I probably. It's been. It's been about a little while since I've seen it, but it's worth. Uh, it's worth looking at. We have the. We have the DVD, Blake. If you want to watch it sometime, but it's another. Another. Another actress doing. Uh, but it's like you said, not campy. Hers is very serious and sad. What she deals with this. Right. This kind of make uh, Sucker Beach Party kind of makes a joke of it, which is fine. Every movie handles things differently, but if you like that kind of thing, where you like just because everybody got, like you said, everybody got real wrapped up in uh, McAvoy's portrayal and Split, but there's uh, lots of other folks have uh, done it over the years too. Yeah. Yep. And besides her, we also get introduced to some of the other big. Like I said earlier the other big players. Now uh, the gentleman slash leader of the surfer bros well he's like second next next to kanaka the great 
but we're introduced to a cat, uh, a fella named uh, Star Cat, <laughs> played by the uh, wonderful, absolutely wonderful uh, Nicholas Brendan. For those who don't know him, uh, he was he portrayed Xander Harris on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for its entire run, and he knocks it out of the park in that show. He did he was pretty funny in this, and besides that, he was in one of his other bigger roles as a and Criminal Minds. He went for like seven seasons as a recurring role as a gentleman named Kevin Lynch. Really? Mm-hmm. Where was... Uh, where I was Psycho- yeah, I didn't know that either. Where's Psycho Beach Party in, uh, as compared to 2001. Where- so it would have been like roughly two- about season three or season four of Buffy. Like it does. So he was Thomas, like, Gibbs- like, Thomas Gibson was also in Criminal Minds, right? The guy that plays Kanaka? I think he was in the... like the. I think he was in like season one, wasn't he? I think he was the fella in season... No, that was... um. I don't- I don't know. Inigo Montoya. I can't remember the actor's name, but he was in season one. Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, Mandy Patinkin. And then I think he left, and this guy and that Tom Gibson came in later as the main girl. But this, um, it just says reoccurring role. I haven't watched a whole lot of Criminal Minds. Jessica recognized him. She's watched a bunch of Criminal Minds. Okay. She thought it was weird seeing. She thought was she she saw enough Criminal Minds. She thought she thought it was weird seeing him in a comedy. Mm. So So, it must be a pretty good role because he's a hell of an actor. He does some serious stuff in Buffy. And as well as being comedic, he does, he does put some really acting, good acting. I think jobs. we're talking about two different people right now. No, I'm talking about Nicholas Brendan. Nicholas Brendan. Yeah, and you talk about he mentioned Gibson, the okay, Greg Kanaka, is okay, a, in a passing. I, I, Are you talking I, I, about him? Yeah, well, yeah, for him because he's in Criminal Mind, not not Nicholas Brennan, but the other guy, mm, the Greg yeah, Kanaka. They, they both yeah. were. I I didn't realize Nicholas Brennan was. I didn't even. Yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know Nicholas Brennan was in Criminal Minds, especially for. Recurring role for a couple of seasons. It's like seven, oh seven yeah. to fourteen. Trying to trying real hard to get get away from Buffy. Got <laughs> that money. Yeah. And then we have another fantastic actress, and she kind of plays the um, the love interest of Starcat, sort of. But she tries to be and succeeds. The, the lust, the lust interest, maybe. Yeah, lust interest be more <laughs> likely. Uh, the character is Marvel Anne. And she's played by the wonderful Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Amy Adams, right this time and place, yeah, uh, there's something wrong with you. She's famous now. Yeah, she's famous. super famous now. Big. Uh, I loved her in Enchanted. She was great in Sunshine Cleaning. You ever seen Sunshine, Sunshine mm-hmm. Cleaning? With Emily Blunt. Oh, yeah. As well as Man of Steel, of course. She's Lois Lane in the DCEU. And she was in uh, that black comedy with like Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, what was that called? Hustler? Oh, uh, hustle. An, an, an American, American Hustle. hustle. American Hustle. Yeah. And she, she's, you know, fantastic in that. She's been winning awards left and right. And I haven't talked about it on this podcast, but in our brother podcast, one of the times I recommended a movie was she was absolutely wonderful in Arrival. Yes. Yeah. She's truly wonderful in Arrival. And I mean that that's one of my favorite movies in the last 10 years for sure. Um, one other thing, uh, Amy, Amy Adams that nobody ever really talks about and they probably won't see because it was just a mini series on HBO, but probably my, my favorite performance of hers. I think I mentioned it on here a while back, but it was based on a book and it was called sharp objects. And uh, again, it, like I said, it was a mini series. I think it was like eight episodes on HBO it was in 2018 but I mean, if you if you guys like Amy Adams or if anybody's an Amy Adams fan, 
you definitely have to watch yeah, sharp objects. Actually, I wrote that down in my notebook when you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, earlier in the old episode. I got it written down, so we're gonna try to get our. I mean, we have it's on HBO, so it's easy to find now. I wrote yeah, I read that things. book and I watched the the mini series, and it's it, it was just so well done. I think we t- I think we mentioned it because I talked about Patricia Clarkson from yeah. EZA because yeah. she played Amy Adams' mother in that. It's just so crazy to see people like that. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was um, the names, Starcat and Marvel, Marvel Ann. And I kind of dug around. I was trying to see if I could find any like correlation or if he was big fans of Marvel comics. or. But, uh, I mean, like Star-Lord, you know, Starcat and yeah. Marvel. I just I wonder if uh, he basing this, like if he was a big fan of any of that. Well, as we'll get to a couple other characters later. I think these are like their surf the ocean given name from the great kanaka well maybe not marvel land that may have just been her parents blowing smoke up her ass going you're such a great addition to the universe you're such a ma- marvel and you know maybe something <laughs> like that because it, it, it speaks to her character because she thinks she's the greatest thing ever yeah but it's star cat and a few of his other homies yo-yo provolone the great kanaka jr <laughs> and tj yeah they're a bunch of surf homies one uh while we're talking about cast uh, i wanted to mention uh junior do you guys know who he is Mm-mm. let's see here what was uh the actor's whole name uh buddy buddy quaid he's one of the quaid brothers randy and dennis really? okay, yeah I, really? I didn't know that until i saw this movie but uh but yeah, his name is the actress Buddy famous. Quaid. Yeah, I only know Randy really. You know, know Dennis Quaid. Well, I know Dennis Quaid, but I mean, it was my brother. I didn't know Randy had a brother. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I didn't either. I didn't yeah. realize. I yeah, Randy Dennis and Dennis is. are brothers, and this is their little brother. And we've become a pretty big fan of Jack Quaid, uh, Dennis Quaid's son oh, yeah, from Jack, The Boys. Of course, because he was in The Boys. Yeah, mm, he's yeah. the main. He's the leading God, the boys. boys. Is incredible. Just like The Boys was, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we've introduced, uh, there's a couple other characters I'll introduce probably when we get to them. But that those are kind of the the big heavy hitters, and that have I probably have the most screen time. I would say for sure, especially with Chicklet being the lead. Yeah, well, I mean, we kind of mentioned Beth Broderick earlier. I think I, I loved her in this. And oh, she I, it, was wonderful. She made me want to see that uh, King's other movie, just bad actress, just because of her performance in this. But I'll share this with you guys. You guys probably don't know this about me, but uh, something I'm a huge fan of are Hallmark Christmas movies. I watch them nonstop. <laughs> like, I have them on 24 hours a day just in the background. But uh, she is like one of the Hallmark actresses now. She's You find her in all these movies. So I just kind of thought that was weird. She's in the wholesome Hallmark movies, but at the same time, she did stuff like this. So what's what's about what is about Hallmark Christmas movies that draws you to them? Is it just the feel good and the simplicity of it? Well, I love Christmas, first of all. And then just, yeah, this the simplicity of them. They're the exact same formula in all of them, happy ending in all of them. It's just, you know, it's like kind of how we talk about Fast and the Furious and stuff. You know, it's just sit back mm-hmm. and enjoy it. It's you know not, exactly what you're going to get. You're right, not going to be, you exactly. got to think about it too hard. You ain't got to. Right. Oh, speaking of feel good Christmas movies, we watched one the, the other week that was yeah, wonderful. I, I think I, I might have texted you about it. What was it called? It was Michael Shannon, Judy Greer. Ron Perlman. Hmm. Why am I blanking? Oh on the my name god! Of the movie? Welcome to. Is this, is this the name of the town? Oh my! Oh my god! 
Michael Shannon was in it. Michael yeah, Michael Shannon. Shannon. Michael Shannon playing like a, a normal a normal person, which was weird. Yeah, because it's about a, <laughs> uh, it basically it's about a town that's going under because all the in- industry has left it, and Michael Shannon runs the general store, and he you know he was just a really nice guy, and having decided to go home early from work to surprise his wife with uh, some deer steaks and wine, uh, he finds her cheating on him, but not in the standard fashion. She is with another gentleman and they're being um, furries with one another. They're howling at each other and pawing at one another, but nothing sexual, never sexual. There's no penetration. Was it Pottersville? Pottersville. There you go. There you go. If you haven't seen that, yeah, watch it. It's a feel good kind of Christmassy movie. It's real. Yeah, I don't want to. It's, it's a comedy too, because I don't want to spoil too much. It's on uh, Netflix right now. Yeah. If you like cheesy, good, feel good. I had a I had Michael Shannon. I had Michael Shannon on, on another pod. Well, I didn't have him. I listened to another podcast with Michael Shannon. He talked about it being one of his, uh, one of his lowest lowest rated like Rotten Tomatoes score movies. But he's like, I don't. I mean, he's like, I really had a good time making it. Had a lot of fun because people just didn't didn't want to watch it or whatever. He, but he was joking about it being one of his lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes movies ever. Yeah, I want to. I don't want to. It, it was fun. I don't want. I want to spoil any more of that than for you. But watch yeah, I'll, I'll if you like. It out. Yeah, yeah. You can watch it with it's the. It's, it's a. It's like PG or PG thirteen. It's family friendly. It's one hundred percent family yeah. friendly. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> we got on super distracted. We'll talk about a couple Tang- of things. Tangents. You know. That was my fault. With the that's not your fault. It makes good stuff. So you know, we were we're, we're quickly introduced to all these characters. The little back and forth between some of them. Uh, the uncomfortably sexual nature of which Marvel Ann and Starcat ice cream sandwich lustfully eat ice cream sandwiches <laughs> at one another very lustfully eat these I'm talking folding them in half and uh, with these <laughs> ice cream sandwiches that must have been pretty funny to film I can't tell I can't imagine how many takes they took I was gonna say how many ice cream sandwiches they went through mm-hmm. they were probably sick of them for years I'm sure and so, you know, we get that hypersexual, you know, funny scene between them. And then we cut to Florence, a.k.a. Chicklet, and her best friend, Bernadine. Or, oh, my God. Ber- Berdine? Ber- Berdine, yeah. Ber- it's, a, it's a weird name. It doesn't yeah. roll off the tongue like it should. Right. And uh, they're like, oh. Chicklet's like, oh, boys only want one thing, and it's disgusting. She looks at Berdine. She's like, hey. You want a wiener? I'm going to get one from the counter. <laughs> There's a lot of silly play on words and, you know, kind of childish, campy humor. You can't uh, overstate how campy this movie is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on purpose. Yeah, it's it's on- it's a, everything's on purpose. But they pl- that's another thing. All the silly, there is no tongue in cheek. That's the best way to do stuff like campiness is you play it 100% serious. You don't wink at the camera or anything like right. that. And that, that makes for the best uh, types of comedies like this. And so, you know, she gets out and we're introduced to while she's at the um, at this wiener stand, this hot dog stand. She's we're introduced to the first kind of big thing of the movie that uh, Chicklet has a in the right circumstances uh, has a uh, what's that thing called? dissociative personality disorder where she has a split personality and uh is a her her personality's name is ann bowman a very dominating 
personality, very just, mm, I am the spotlight. I am the greatest thing ever, but not like Marvel. And she's very domineering and makes you pay attention to her. Don't forget about uh, Tylene Carmichael Carmel. Uh, we'll talk about her later <laughs> and uh, some other things. We'll talk about her later to some some stuff. But this is also a great opening line for for me, for Ann Bowman. It just lets you really know exactly who she is. <laughs> who do you got to screw to get a hot dog in this place? And the guy's <laughs> like, well, what? what? What are you talking about? She's like, I didn't pay extra for the dialogue, so cut the chin music and get me my wiener. And <laughs> I was just like, that's a great, great line. <laughs> that's, that's pretty great dialogue. It lets you know exactly she's a no-nonsense lass. And then a few seconds later, she has no idea. It's a blackout. She has no idea that this Ann Bowman person is inside of her all along. And so we're going to fast forward, you know, quite a few, a few pages and steps. And we get to, like I said, we said earlier that this um, chicklet is kind of the tomboy. She's not super into the boys and everything. She wants to do the boy things and hang out with boys and learn how to do surfing and this and that. And, you know, gets kind of looked down on by some of the others around, including her friend, Burdine. But apparently they're pseudo friends with this Marvel Ann character, who's this the hoity-toity, you know, popular hot chick, who really only brings Burdine and Chicklet along to make herself look hotter, which is pretty and, awful. And, and because Burdine had what resembles a car, is that how she says it? Yeah, what resembles a car. She's so only basically she got she gave her a ride to the beach, pretty much. <laughs> and then we get to see some of this like 1950s blue screen surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this amazing <Sorry>. surf scenes <laughs> where those people just standing with some a fan blowing at them. <laughs> and like, none of them are doing any like cool surf looking moves either. No. They're just like standing they're, there and dancing. <laughs> they're just doing super, super silly stuff. <laughs> and this is where we get pretty much introduced to Starcat and his crew. Like I said earlier, the TJ, the Yo-Yo, the Provolone, the Junior, <laughs> and the great Kanaka, who is the head honcho of the little group. I will say that of this group, Starcat's hilarious. He's, you know, Nicholas Brendan's great. But my two favorite of these gentlemen are. I was gonna say the same thing. What? The two guys are Yo Yo hitting on each other the entire movie. Yeah, Yo Yo and Provolone are some of the best. I'm trying to say closeted homosexuality towards one another. The first, <laughs> the first thing I thought of. I don't know if you guys ever watched Saturday Night Live, but uh, the ambiguously gay duo. Do you guys ever? Did you guys? Ever I, see I don't that? know that skit. Yeah. Oh really? It uh -huh. was a car. It was animated. It was uh, Robert Smigel did it, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was Steve Carell and uh, Stephen Colbert were the voices of them. Oh uh, god! Back before they were who they are now. But yeah, it was two got two superheroes like a Batman and a Robin, and they were always in weird like compromising positions. And <laughs> but it was called the ambiguously gay duo. So when I saw <laughs> these two guys, it was the first thing I thought of. And I wonder if he partly based it on that skit because I mean the it was just frame. like that. Like they were always like wrestling around or doing something funny. I love that he was posing. He was taking like fake pictures of him with his hand. Because <laughs> okay, just kind of like the introduction to these provolone and yo-yo and then they're all like hey dudes yeah we're the dudes man and they're all these you know bronzed you know rippling six-pack adonises and they're just like yeah dude what's up guy 
and Yo-Yo Provolone start, you know, play wrestling like, you know, as friends do. They're usually doing this in the background. They're always when somebody else is talking in in the front of the camera in the background, they're doing something weirdly sexual. But this brings (laughs) it to the forefront where they get into like they start play wrestling and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of their friends decides to just start squirt squirting them oh, yeah. with tanning oil <laughs> while they're wrestling. <laughs> is somebody watching on the side? Like, what the fuck is, is like, going yeah, on? I think Nicholas, I think Star was, Cat was, was, was like just looking at him and looking around, like, why are we throwing oil on them? And they're in the sand too. And the whole thing I only thing I could think about was watching watching that was how uncomfortable those actors must have been. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I just not think only about doing this. that with each other, but having sand and oil on them at the same yeah, time. Yeah, think, think about that. Most like majority of that movie is on a beach too. I said that somewhere when we were watching. I was like, imagine the sand these people had to deal with making this movie because like ninety five percent of that movie is on the beach. But that's the whole point of it. It's a cycle beach, beach party. But yeah, but it's just like man. I know a lot of people make movies on beaches and stuff. You don't think about like the nightmare it would have been on that set, probably sand everywhere. But this uh, hyper homoerotic (laughs) display of male bonding and Greek Greco Roman wrestling, (laughs) uh, we uh, uncover our first, well, technically our second murder victim. I talked about the first one earlier who was, after uh, Ann Bowman appeared, someone got their throat slit in that movie parlor. But that Birdie was then. found him. Mm-hmm. And so we discover a, a hacked off limb. And we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> and they start freaking out. And uh, we get reintroduced. We were introduced to her off scene briefly, but we get reintroduced to Captain Monica, who's basically... She's kind of the linchpin, I guess. She's the one who's slowly connecting and who's doing the murder and asking these questions of who, what could these murderers want? And again, keep it in mind, she wasn't a character in the play. So I I just would really love to know how this play went together without that character. Because you just said it. She was like the linchpin of this. She becomes very pivotal in keeping some of these scenes together. And then we we do a couple of different drama things. We do some some hangout scenes and surfing because uh, Chicklet has convinced these guys to let her uh, be teach how to, you know, teach, be taught surfing and all this other stuff. And so she starts to change, become one of the dude bros and they dub her Chicklet. And so she actually stops hanging out with uh, Burdine and Burdine starts getting jealous that her friends not hanging out with her anymore. Kind of so on and so forth. And they, you know, they're, they're shocked by that that murder, you know, that they find. And they kind of, you know, they move on because that's, you know, what you do. Oh, man, they're dead. Oh, mm-hmm. well, let's keep moving, bros. And Because they don't know who, who's dead. Have you kind of introduced Tanaka or Kanaka yet? Or? Well, I, I think you, we, you can do that right now if you want, because I was going to talk about how she got inducted into the uh, surfers, but you can go ahead and take that, Owen. Yeah, so like, like you said that, she wanted to be a part of them. They're like a girl surfer. <laughs> no, no way. A girl can't surf. So she's, but they, they mentioned the great Tanaka and she's, she pretty much goes off on her own. Um, well, I guess her and Bardeen are having lunch with buddy right before mm-hmm. he dies. And, and he tells them where uh, Kanaka lives. So they, uh, she goes to Kanaka all by herself and kind of gets him to teach her how to surf. And that kind of gets her in with the guys. But again, Kanaka is played by Thomas Gibson. And 
evidently he's even though he looks goofy on the green screen and everything i don't see any cool surf moves from him but he's like some kind of a surf god evidently they all worship him but he, he's some sort of circuit surf guru who knows the ways of the waves, <laughs> right and he he likes to be dominated by women evidently because uh she snaps that's like one of the the second time we see ann bowman right the first time is when she wants the wiener at the concession saying the second time is when she's with him and uh, he likes it. and He's so he, confused at how much he likes it. <laughs> right. He's real confused. <laughs> but uh, she... Uh, she it, breaks it off on him. Yeah, as, yeah. As we'll find out later. <laughs> yep. She literally carves her name into his ass cheek. <laughs> and it's not like a little bit. It literally says, Ann Bowman was here. Was spelled here. correctly. All up yeah. in his ass cheek. Yeah. <laughs> So that the, again, just kind of bringing him in, but uh, I think where you were going was the next like kind of big thing that that we get introduced to is um, the actress that we met at the beginning, right? In the in that movie that they're watching in the theater, they meet her on the beach, and don't you think that's kind of the next big that's thing? The next, that- next big big thing, because then that that allows the, the introduction to the house and everything, and she's this super huge B sex symbol star who's kind of like, I, I, a knockoff Marilyn Monroe. Right. Would y'all yeah. agree with me? saying I, that? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Cause she talks with that, that, that breathy speech well, pattern. Isn't there that, so, isn't there somebody she talks to in the movie and the person's like, Oh, that's your real voice. Oh yeah. Someone who's, <laughs> what's well, uh, that uh, Rhonda, the lady in the yeah, wheelchair. That hyper oh, that bitch that, in the yeah, wheelchair yeah, at the restaurant. Yeah, she's like, "Oh, that's your real voice. That's your real voice." <laughs> Played by Kathleen Robinson. Robertson. Uh, did you guys ever watch Nine Hundred Two and No. no. When she Sorry. was a, she was on there. That's where she came from. But uh, but yeah, Kathleen Robertson was. She was kind of a crush of mine when I was younger. So it was kind I of cool see to see her in this. Yeah, because one of the funny things is um, when they cast her. They're like, oh, you, you know, we're going to put you in a wheelchair. And though she's like, oh, okay, I can be, you know, she's like, I can be happy and, and cute and funny. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to be a bitch, an evil, hateful bitch. You're not going to be a strong willed. We can do it. No, no, you're going to be hateful. And she's like, oh, I definitely can do that. It's going to be so much. She was super excited. I think they went to her and she was the first person who, and they, she took the role immediately. Yeah. Of just the juxtaposition. Because a lot of times, the person, I hate to be generalizing for anyone who may or may not be in a wheelchair. I do apologize. But how a lot of TVs and movies portray their, you know, strong willed and they're outgoing and they're real good go getters. And they're like, oh, the world's beautiful just because, you know, let's try to be good. And this, she's not. She is not having it. Calling people out on their crappy uh, sense of style, their voice. Oh, you have a stupid haircut. She's just hate, hateful. But I did this. That was a that was a fun thing to have such a hateful little person in there. Considering everyone else was pretty cheery, next behind yeah. her and like Marvel Ann. Yeah, she did a good job. I mean, it, she only had like three or four scenes, but she made the best of them for sure. Oh, one thing before we uh, dive into full blown meeting the actress on the beach uh, is the Kanaka is. All of his lines rhyme with the next oh, line. Know, that's crazy. Man, a, whenever, whenever I was talking about him, I meant to say that 15 times. I completely forgot. Yeah. But he had a pretty great, and some of the rhymes were pretty, pretty damn good, which I imagine would probably flow really well 
on the stage. You have to have a real good actor to hit these beats. These a, I think it was a, I think it was an A B rhyming scheme where it's like boom 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 boom. Yeah, I think I think A B rhyming scheme. That's something else I wanted to learn more about. Like if that was if there was a character in one of these like '60s movies or Gidget or something that that did something like that that was so cool he rhymed everything that. He based that because it was just you know kind of out of left field like why would this one character be like that but i guess he's just so uber cool you know he just that he, he well he's seamlessly like a spiritual rhymed, like, leader and everything he's like a beat poet but a yeah a surf guru so he was a, a calm i'm sure that there were like beatnik poets and stuff like that who talk like that he's kind of kind of yeah. amalgamized uh right the mentor character from a couple of different genres i would imagine but yeah can i yeah, thanks for thanks for remembering that gosh i meant to mention that like 20 like said 15 times but they were i can't i can't remember any of them but they were all pretty good pretty good almost i don't think all he's in, his i lines, hit all of his lines if i can remember, all of them were an a b rhyming mm-hmm. but it also would they because they weren't dumb he wasn't it's, like it was like crazy to like do, write a character like that and have them do that rhyming and still get a get the point across what he's trying to say for the scene yeah because oh, yeah. uh I want to I want to move forward, but I keep getting drawn back to these little parts because once they because Kanaka is introduced and they have that homoerotic display of male bonding and then they discover the the severed limb and then like, everyone freaks out. And uh, again, uh, Captain Monica is called. And you find out there is a. Uh, some sexual hidden sexual and not even hidden. It's not even overt. It's some blatant sexual tension between Captain Monica and the great Tanaka, Kan- uh, not Tanaka, Tanaka. Great Kanaka. I keep wanting to say Tanaka too. They got they got history. They got some uh, some uh, naughty naughty beast with two backs history, and that gets referenced <laughs> several times. Yeah. And okay, now that I've gotten all that out of the way, let's um, bump forward a little bit. Like I said, we we're getting to what was her name? Bernie Bert- Burnett Bernie Barnes. Bettina. Be- Bettina Barnes. Is that, is that the same name you keep struggling with? No, that's Bern- Berdine, her friend. <laughs> Ber- Berdine's her oh friend, and then Bettina <laughs> Barnes is the actress, yeah. That's a lot of, yeah, don't get me, it's a lot of things. A lot of bees, too many weird bee-sounding names. And she, and they're like, oh, and they, you know, accidentally, not even accidentally, just figure out that she's the big movie star who's in hiding because she's trying to hide out because she's tired of being this I'm more than just a hot, sexy body. I have a brain, too. You know, she's doing that. She's, you know, no offense to her, but she's trying to not just... What's her character? Yeah, it's her character. She's trying to not be just this, you know, sex symbol of these B-movies. But you do get some, like, I'll talk about it, if, you know, some other stuff. She she does reveal some of her more gritty side later on, her just... Like her 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 business sense when it comes to certain things, and then her uh, childlike hopefulness in certain other scenes. So she actually does a pretty campy but complex character because yeah. they become fast friends. All of them do the because uh, the they're, <laughs> this gang of surfer dudes is worshiping how hot she is, and of course Chicklet's like I don't see what the big deal is. She's just a girl, nah, whatever. And then Burdine is obsessed with her because she sees her as this like feminist icon, pretty much. Is she's yeah. you know taking control of the scene and using sex to do it? 
and it's all you know it's all you know pretty big character building stuff for you know introductions of everybody but the big dean's key... like analyzing a 60s sci-fi horror movie <laughs> the oh yeah to talk feminism about it. of the character <laughs> and then we kind of get in you know she's oh this big party to bring my friends and we you know we, we meet everybody and we eventually end up going to her house where where she's staying in Berdine. this is where some of the mystery starts to build up as as she's renting this house from that hadn't been rented in some time Berdine is uh she's hired Berdine to be her her girl friday i'm not entirely yeah. sure her, her assistant her fake you know, her hired best friend and they're going through this house and she's cleaning out some of these attic rooms and stuff for her to stay and she's finding these old pictures and you're like oh man that's that's this massacre that happened in this house you know 15 10 years ago and you're like what oh and this is like this cool little murder mystery slightly campy thing going on about you know what happened in this house and it starts to build on the drama because during this this evening uh party we find one of the characters who who is that tj who's actually a pretty great character because he uh he felt everything in his balls. His balls <laughs> knew when it was going to rain. His balls told him when someone was lying to him. His balls told him when his next meal was going to be good or bad. He really trusted his balls. <laughs> and this leads to our now third murder of the movie, right? The girl in the movie theater. Yeah, he's the third. He's yeah, the third. PJ. Well, they, they, yeah, they have like an... Uh, the slumber party uh, exorcism. Yes, the seance, right? Yeah. Because they believe the house to be haunted. They're trying to cleanse it of its spirits. So, they yeah, do. everybody's there. And uh, what uh, your your two boys, uh, mm-hmm. Yo-Yo and... Uh, Provolone. <laughs> Provolone. Some of the best characters. And they're trying the... on the fedoras and stuff. Or, or what are those to... things called? The, they're, they're fuzzy the pink boas, boas or whatever. They're boas. boas. <laughs> They're 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 just trying on all her different uh, Bettina's clothes, <laughs> but this is all this is one of those sweet sweet scenes of Bettina, where it's like a childlike innocence almost, because she walks in, in into this room and she sees these two boys trying on, she, and she doesn't freak out. I immediately, it, she's an actress, so she's seen a couple of different things that men do when they're being manly men, and uh, she's like, oh honey. You can't wear pink with that tan here try this black and she starts teaching them how to play dress up properly and then they kind of oh no no we don't want to we're, we're being men bye and she's like oh, now i'm never going to get to see these colors on beautiful bronze skin mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and then right here uh, we find out we start to get a connection because we have a again we said we have a third murder and monica Captain Monica is then brought again and they start, she starts putting the pieces together that of all these murders, there seems to be something slightly off with each murder. Now I forget what the first victim, a hair lip. She had a hair lip. That's right. She had a hair lip. And then the second victim had horrible eczema. Or was it psoriasis? Psoriasis. Yeah. Psoriasis, horrible psoriasis, which left him wearing a, um, a big old jersey constantly. And now this uh, TJ gentleman has had his, uh, his tes- testicle removed and shoved in his mouth. And yes, I said testicle, not s- testicle. He had a singular testicle. And that's what leads uh, 
Captain Monica to believe that the killer is killing people with physical deficiencies or things that would be considered unappealing in the eyes of the killer. And so then they have to start going on this whole, you know, she does this breakdown. What's, what's her, what's um, Stark's partner's name? Is it Cookie? Cookie. Yeah, Cookie is What did she say? What did she say about uh, TJ? She says, a lot of meat, but one ball, or what did she say? A whole lot of meat, but only one tater. (laughs) One tater. (laughs) One tater. (laughs) A whole lot of meat, but only one tater. (laughs) I did like, I forgot about Cookie. She was pretty, she was just the comedy to to Captain Monica Stark. And she's just like, what, her first deputy, I guess? Right. Sheriff's deputy. She was, Cookie was fun. And then we have that, that you know, the third murder and everyone's freaking out. Oh, no, there now there's a serial killer. And we do some more, you know, cool blue screen surfing because, you know, that's what you do when your friend gets murdered. You, you just go surf your feelings away <laughs> to try to make up for it. And yeah, then, so... It, one one thing I wanted to um, kind of mention was uh, the uh, that scene between. I think it happens before it happens before that seance. Uh, whenever, uh, uh, let's see. Sorry. Um, whenever uh, uh, Bruce is talking to uh, Florence, you you know what I'm talking about where she's. Florence wants to go to it. She's like, a slumber party? No. You know what I'm talking about? That scene between the oh, two yeah, of them. Between her mother and her. Yeah. But uh, that that's probably my favorite scene of the movie. It's uh, that that whole exchange where um, she says uh, she says to, to um, Florence, she's like, you have no idea how repugnant it can be to have a man's sweaty thing poking at you. You like that. How does that feel? That's nothing compared to how they poke you down there. You know what I'm talking about? She oh, says yeah. She, that she's then, poking her with the and yeah, she keeps poking her finger into her, and then she snaps into uh, she goes into Carmichael there, that Tylene Carmichael Carmel, and oh, smacks yeah. her mom. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, you remember that scene? Yeah, I do I remember, remember the scene. I remember, I don't remember her smacking her. Yeah, she, she smacks her mom. Well, no, I think that scene she smacked. Well, is that when she it's goes to scene. the but that's when she goes to the luau, though. That's near the end of the movie, isn't it? Is it? I thought of that because the first time we see Tylene. No, the the luau is um, towards the 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 thing that leads into that is whenever it's um, Starcat and Kanaka in in the they're fighting over or whatever, and they he accidentally punches her, and then the mom comes in. Oh yeah, she's like, away. This is a gang. Yeah, <laughs> oh, this, this is the gang. Back I've got yeah. to tear your peckers off. <laughs> she goes like, <laughs> she comes back in twice to 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 really show that she's going to rip their peckers off in court. Yeah, but no, the the so that that scene that I was talking about is she she's asking her mom if she can go to that summer party, and her mom's telling her no because she thinks there's going to be like sex there and stuff like that, and and obviously we come to the end we we find out why her mom's always thinking about sex. <laughs> but I, I thought it was Ann Bowman. Because the no, first time, the first time we see Tylene is when she um, comes out against uh, the t- Kanaka. Yeah, that was that was before the scene. So okay. it's like the second time we see Tylene. Yeah, no, we okay. We've spoken about Tylene a few times, and so all in all, uh, Chicklet has a total of three personalities. She has herself, 
well, technically, I guess we could say four. She has Florence, which is who she normally is. Then she has Chicklet, who isn't really a split personality, but it's who she's slowly becoming because they're, they're dubbed her Chicklet. And then we have Ann Bowman, who is her domineering personality whenever she sees circles and spirals and fr- freaks her out. And then the, this fourth one is this Tylene Carmel Carmichael. Now, I'm going to be frank. This is one of those things that, for me, didn't age well re-watching the movie. Yeah. yeah. And it made certain aspects of the movie really stand out. So, like I said earlier, we have, you know, the quiet Florence, the tomboyish chiclet, and the domineering, dom- literally a dominatrix, Ann Bowman. And Tylene, for lack of a better word, is a loud ghetto girl with attitude if that you know whatever you're picturing right now and the voice in your head of that that's tylene carmel carmichael and that it's not really i'm it's not something i notice in movies usually but with this portrayal of this character this tylene carmel carmichael it, it made me really notice that there is a literally no diversity in this movie it is a cast of all white people and that's it i'm like you can't unless you unless you don't uh, think about gays as being diverse you know i mean maybe but i'm talking about just just i mean i'm I'm not trying to make it a race thing there's no there's no there's one asian person in the entire movie and he's only in there because he's the lead choreographer and he's in the scene helping choreography one of these big song and dance numbers but past that it's all white people and i was like oh come on you can't have that that again i can't think of another word and i do apologize that ghetto voice that mm-mm, that real just and have literally no one to back it up like you didn't think that that like, i guess in the early 2000s the world wasn't as woke as it is now oh yeah i mean you if they did that now especially being played by a white actress like that and I, I, I think people have a problem with it oh yeah i mean it it threw me for a loop. I was like, ooh. You can't, even One have, thing- you can't even have white voice actors voice black characters anymore. So, I mean, imagine her trying to do that. No, oh, yeah, it would have not gone over well. What we I mean, Steve? you know, but again, it's it's camp. Uh, you see that stuff like that on Saturday Night Live, you know, thing just in different skits. So, I think in – and I, I watched, you know, just comedians talk about this stuff. Whenever you're doing comedy, it's almost a different story. You know what I'm saying? Like they can get away with a little bit more. Again, I don't know how I watch Saturday Night Live every week. Every week, and they they push the boundaries to the limit. Um, and I don't know if you guys watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but he does the same thing with race and and things like that. He just takes every joke he can to as far as he you know, pushes the envelope as far as he can. Larry David, and mm-hmm. again, uh, this being comedy and especially being written by a gay guy, uh, you know Charles Bush. I think it's a little bit of a different story there, but, and again, you know, it's all this like gray matter and they're like, what, what can, what can like bend the rules and what can make it uh, somewhat acceptable. But I think that's the kind of the way they get away with it. There is, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not a serious movie. It's pure camp. So it's almost like a skit, you know, saying on Siren live is the way I looked at it. So that, that and I think there's, there's clearly no ill intentions. Yeah. There's right, uh, yeah. Yeah, that too, but it's the well, thing that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, and I don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. 
because uh, what it was is because as the movie goes on, Ann Bowman serves a purpose. I was we were going to the same place. Okay, cool. Because Ann Bowman serves a purpose as well as Florence and Chicklet. Though I, I keep saying like they're two separate people, but she does act differently when she's around the people who call her Chicklet versus when she's around the people that call her Florence. And that's how split personality. That's just how people act. Rather, I think that is like a subtle hint that she's more complex. Well, and, I, I thought you were going to say, um, and we find out where Ann Bowman's originated from. Yeah, you know what I'm saying at the end. But there's never any kind of. There's Unless no, I completely missed it, no reference to where Tylene Carmichael came from. And so, honestly, they could have, if you think about all the Tylene scenes, they probably could have cut those out and had just Ann Bowman play a stronger role. Because, like, when she gets into the argument with her mother and she slaps her, that easily could have been an Ann Bowman thing. When the, you know, it would have made it a slightly less awkward for when, uh, when the t- uh, Tanaka is trying to get her to turn back, because he gets real obsessed with Ann Bowman and trying right. to get her to switch to Ann Bowman. And he, he figures out her trigger is spirals and circles. And so he, he rigs his whole apartment with these hanging light chandeliers that spin circles to get her to turn back. And because he is obsessed with her after their first night together, her literally having carved her name in his butt cheek, as I said earlier. And then we get the whole, I just, the Tylene thing, it didn't seem, it was funny, but it didn't seem necessary. And it serves no real purpose. I, and again, the only thing I liked was that that one scene with her mom. But I completely agree. They could have completely done away with it. I don't understand where that character came from. Because like we just mentioned, the Anne Bowman is uh, justified at the end. Like where that, that, that personality came from. But again, in Unless I just completely missed something, I don't. I do not understand where Tylene comes from or what. Um, but that's one of the. I mean, I'm not going to get get into my review or anything. But that's definitely one of the things I had. You know, certain things like this. There are a lot of unexplained things, in my opinion. Even though it is camp, and even though this movie is just completely out there, but stuff like that. I mean, I would like for it to make more sense. You know, and and come together a little bit more. Likewise, now. You know, we went on that tangent real quick. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, then I'll we'll kind of hop skip forward, is once the detective makes the connection that uh, the killer is killing people with physical effects, yeah, you know, not deformations, but physical things that are unappealing to their eyes. Uh, she then gathers the remaining surfer bros, which is Starcat, Yo Yo, and Provolone, and she starts asking them. She she explains to them what her theory is that the killer is killing these people. And if any of them have any dark, deep, twisted tendency that would be, that would be deemed uh, unnormal or gross to an outside observer. And Starcat's like, no, I got no idea. I'm, I'm as normal as they come. And while he's giving his speech, you see Provolone and Yo-Yo look at each other and just kind of go, <laughs> right. yeah, no, we're completely normal. We're the most normal dudes <laughs> that surf and hang out with you there and sometimes wrestle <laughs> <laughs> and like that was I, that scene make that was just really good acting on their part just the subtle look at one another and come back and try to play it completely straight they did do a good job those two guys they were they were, they were some of my favorite part in the whole movie they really were they were just good just constant in the background doing stuff and if you're paying attention to the foreground you, you kind of miss it mm-hmm. and so like we mentioned earlier this whole movie 
culminates in this big luau that we've been hooting up for, you know, and, and uh, how do I explain this? Like I said, we have this big song and dance number. It's a big, uh, I guess you would say it's like a big beach. I don't even know what you you would call that type of dance. Just like a beach party dance. Yeah. I don't know (laughs) what you would call that. And it's basically a stomp the yard with Marvel Ann and her male roster and um, Miss Barnes and her roster. And they literally have a dance battle that goes on for about two or three minutes. It's a pretty weird and out there scene, but I imagine we probably probably cool on the stage with lots of dancers doing a funny choreography. And so I guess it's a rival surfer guy, someone who doesn't think uh, the great Kanaka is all that great. Some other surfer gurus, I guess. You're talking about, uh, I forget the character's name because he's literally introduced uh, right there. Wedge, Wedge Riley, Wedge yeah. Riley, who's also made all for the movie. Uh, in the in the uh, hmm. behind the scenes commentaries, they say he was made for the movie because otherwise it kind of just goes to the luau and then everything happens. But they have to have a, a trigger, and they felt they needed an semi antagonist at this point to trigger this whole scene to happen because it didn't feel as natural as it did in the because they, they cut a few things out here and there from the play and switched them around. And, but anyway, he's like, Oh, we need to liven up this luau. We need to sacrifice the Virgin, mm-hmm. you know, which is this, you know, little play where they get like the most innocent girl and quote unquote, sacrifice her to the mountain to honor King Neptune. Yeah. And so of course the, the only quote unquote Virgin around is Florence. So she volunteers herself to make for the, a better luau because it's her first time ever doing one and she doesn't want to let her friends down and she wasn't going to be there she like we were talking about earlier her mom wouldn't let her go and um Bardine went went to her <laughs> went there and basically dra- dragged her there could, could i admit that scene when Bardine comes to like break her out of her house basically it's the most random thing because out of nowhere she's like hey Hey, and she's like, huh? Her window's open. And this giant grapple hook comes flying through the window. <laughs> and you're like, what is this grapple hook? And Birdine just says, oh, it's, you know, leftover from when I went through my mountain climbing phase. <laughs> okay, that explains why you have a massive grapple hook. Okay, a mountain climbing phase. But that was, that that made me laugh. That, that yeah, just that unsuspected cool. little physical comedy of that giant hook. What, one other character that I guess we should bring mm. everybody's attention right now is Lars. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't even mentioned earlier. him at all. The the Swedish exchange student or whatever that's staying with. Uh, it's the gorgeous Swedish foreign exchange student. Yeah. Did I miss his point of the movie? Um, because I kind of he, he has I'm a not, big point at the end. He has a huge point. I, yeah, I know exactly. But I, I mean, it's not due to the quality of the movie. I just fall asleep during movies sometimes, so I think I lost. Like, <laughs> I think I lost like the last ten or fifteen minutes just because I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. Well, he's this a bitch, like semi innocent. He has a lot character. of, a lot of scenes. I saw him in a lot of scenes. Yeah, I just missed what what he was there. I mean, he's I just, just the side character. He's like you know the popular because he's a a gorgeous. Tall, you know, blonde, blue-eyed. Mm-hmm. Is the accent is the accent fake? Oh, 
Yeah. I, I didn't know about them out of hiring Mac with the accent. One of the funniest scenes and, talking about and him. And Ruth one seemed pretty bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because um, brain work. There's a real funny part where he, because he's he's a foreign exchange student, so he lives with Florence in their home, and they're just trying to teach him the ways of America before he goes back to, I guess, Switzerland. But there's a real funny part where Florence, where Chicklet is upset having had a bad day, and he's like, oh, Florence, uh, <laughs> my mother used to say... That's uh, a good impression. Flugen, Gergen, Flugen, Flau. Really? That's what she used to say? Uh-huh. Wow, that does make me feel better, Lars. Thanks, and that's he doesn't he doesn't mention what that set what that is or anything. He just says it in his Swedish accent, and she just goes, "That makes me feel better," and goes on. <laughs> and that's that's Camp One Hundred One. You play it a hundred percent serious, straight faced, and it just yeah. makes the comedy hit harder. And speaking of comedy and, and straight faced lines, uh, my second favorite line of the movie is uh takes place at the luau when uh bettina is uh is introducing her friend joey mm-hmm. to Starcat. <laughs> she's like this is joey he's deaf with 11 fingers <laughs> and then <laughs> Starcat kind of walks off he's like poor sucker doesn't stand a chance in hell because they're only people's defects are being killed yeah. and like you said the detective just had that conversation with them and told him about that oh, he's deaf with 11 fingers oh <laughs> sucker doesn't stand a chance in hell <laughs> oh <laughs> well, that, that uh, part was great i forgot about yeah. that line <laughs> poor sucker doesn't stand a chance in hell he, he just, just says it so perfectly Nicholas Brendan, fantastic actor, knows how to hit his mark, hit his lines. Oh, he's all about that. He has that sarcasm down. I mean, Xander was perfect at that in Buffy. Oh God, yes, he was. And so, kind of get. We're gonna. We're we're about to hit like the big reveal. All the, all the everything comes pouring in. So with the luau that happens, uh, one of the big things is she's being walked out on these boards, and they're like who uh, they're just they're doing this kind of gruntle, grunting chant. And they're like uh, this uh, wedge Riley's like, all right, everybody. So let's start circling with the torches or whatever. And Kanaka immediately realizes, oh, no, 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 no. He's like, hey, we don't do circles down here, guys. That's not how we uh, do sacrifices. We do them in squares. We don't, we don't do circles, but it's too late. The circles have already started going. Did we even mention that? Have we mentioned that yet? Like what sets her off? He mentioned it, but I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, like well, like Blake's saying, whenever she sees like weird circles or like a pattern on wallpaper or something like that, and it's circles or dust and... badly CGI blowing off a man's ass. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's sand that, on the dude. That sand was so stupid. Weird. I hated that part. It was probably meant to be funny. Yeah, but it was yeah. just dumb. They don't really explain it, even when they explain how the split personality comes to be. The circles don't come into it at all. Right. Because even in the I think they talk about it in the in the play, it's um colors. It's like red and green colors. Because hmm. they can really they can like make some big checkered plaques or whatever. But it was hard to do so much color in a very colorful movie as is. So they decided to switch it to circles and spirals just because that seemed easier to do. Right. But they don't really explain 
why even in the play why it's the red and green color versus why it's the spy they don't explain it it's just a yeah usually be tied to some trauma or something it's just a visual trigger yeah but they don't explain it which is whatever you don't not everything needs to be explained you know just uh, suspension of just if, if it was a more serious movie and it was more important yes. that her personality was wasn't more than because it's it's a silly movie it's a silly movie but if it was more serious there would be there would, would be some like daddy always wore circles when he touched me or something yes yeah, there'd, so there'd, yeah. there'd be some crazy darkness there right. this is a comedy so they don't have they don't have to have to explain it so this is where you're going though with that uh kanaka we don't do yeah we don't do circles in here we do that's not how we do circles we don't do circles and how we sacrifice virgins here but they've already started and of course because they all have a chiclet hoisted up on their shoulders she has a, a basically not a bird's eye view but a downward facing view of these circles right. and she snaps and here comes Anne Bowman. Oh, bow down before your queen. Yes, bow down to Anne Bowman. She gets real into it real fast. And everyone starts freaking out. They're like, who is this chick? And then like, I'm Ann Bowman. And then a whole big reveal comes. And it turns out, um, which we find out earlier, but it's that doesn't really become super important until right now. That Starcat is a uh, <laughs> three semesters of psychic. Yeah, he took three <laughs> semesters of psychic at, at Best Western. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to like break it down and try to trying to figure out what's caused these personalities. And somebody is it her mom? Is it Ruth? Did she say he doesn't even know what he's doing? And then one of the other guys says he had three semesters of psychic Northwestern. <laughs> and then uh, Monica, Captain Monica, is like, "That's enough for me. Please continue, Starcat." <laughs> It's so semesters of psych Northwestern. That's enough to make you a, a, an expert in this small beach town, I guess. <laughs> that's uh, one of those things that's uh, to me, anyways, it's funnier every time I watch her to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so he kind of he uh, he's like, "What I'm going to do is I'm a hypnotized chicklet." And we're going to see what's causing these, this trauma because uh, only a severe trauma would cause uh, acute uh, schizophrenic personality disorder. Like he gives like he like it like that sounds like an expert. <laughs> and so he, uh, this is actually a pretty cool scene. I kind of like this because they did a couple of takes and they wanted her to make, you know, do stuff that was personal to her to make it feel, you know, go through it. And the director and writer wanted it to feel like someone was flipping channels. So as he was hypnotizing her, he was getting, you know, the swing in the, whatever you call that thing, the Mandela or whatever that. Right, right, yeah. Whatever it's called, planchette. No, that's for Ouija board. Pendulum? Pendulum, there you go. Pendulum, that's the, yeah. That's yeah. a good word. And he was swinging it back and forth, and she was going through different, I, different, I guess, you know, personalities she may or may not have had. One of them being a very fast-speaking Spanish person. <laughs> and Bowman, uh, Chicklet herself, and then one cool thing is she does a uh, a pretty good opera, like oh, mm-hmm. and it turns out that uh, the she fluently speaks Spanish and is a trained opera singer. You're talking about Lauren Ambrose, yeah, Lauren Ambrose. She's she's <laughs> a, she's she, she speaks Spanish fluently and she's a trained opera singer. So they incorporated that into a couple of different takes. Actually, not really. I'll get to that in a minute, but through rehearsing and then takes they they asked where they landed on and so that made it feel more real to her character because it's something she could already do in her head like flipping a switch and going in between them and it the final 
thing it lands on is the childhood version of Florence as a, as a little 10 year old girl. And then she's like, yeah, uh, I opened the door and mommy was there. And it kind of, it, it basically, it said, it, it didn't, it tells you is that her mother used to be named Ann Bowman and was a, and was a promiscuous woman to say the least. Like sailors. You really like them sailors. But one kind of funny part too, is there's a moment right here where, uh, she's like, oh, why don't you and your and your little brother uh, go play? Frankie. Yeah, why don't you and little Frankie go, go to the park next door and play while me and Sugar, I don't even know your name. <laughs> <laughs> and the sailor leans in and whispers. And the re- <laughs> this is kind of like behind the scenes stuff. The reason the sailor had to lean in and whisper, because if you couldn't hear the dialogue, they didn't have to pay him. <laughs> Oh, that's a hundred percent reason why the uh, the sailor whispered his name because they it would be because if he had a spoken role, he automatically jumped from seventy five dollars to three hundred dollars. So they made mm. him pretend to speak his name to Beth to Ann Bowman, so that they only had to pay him seventy five dollars instead of three hundred dollars. That's wow. literally it. And then we get to well, th- that's how we find out about about Ann Bowman. And now the dramatic event is uh, Florence. Uh, there's a, a, a you know a playground across the street, and we've never mentioned this character, Little Brother Frankie. Where is Little Brother Frankie this entire movie? Turns out uh, <laughs> she was pushing him on a swing, and he wanted to go higher and higher and higher. And so finally he went around, to go the around the world, <laughs> around the world. Yeah, yeah. And flew off into traffic. <laughs> See, I must have been asleep. You know, I don't remember that. So this part. She accidentally murdered her brother, which is what caused the fragment. And then it shoots forward, and you figure out that's why she's messed up in the head. So apparently, that made her the tra- being traumatized from that made her lose her memory. Right? What was that? I'm sorry. Just the tra- being traumatized from killing her brother like that made her lose her memory, right? Yeah, it basically, it, it, yeah, it, forcible amnesia. She couldn't live with what had happened. And so her mother saw it as a opportunity as a, to start a, a new life. Exactly. So she yeah. stopped being promiscuous, changed her name, and just moved somewhere to where no one knew her or Frankie or Florence. And they could just, it was just still kind of messed up in a way to pretend that the son never lived. So her mom's real name was Ann Bowman, right? In fact, Ann Bowman, yes. Okay. So that wasn't just like a fake name she used to get with that. That was actually her name then. And that was her actual name. Right. And then she's kind of like, oh, it's her. Yeah, that's a pretty big reveal. Her mother ends up getting arrested because she tries to attack somebody. And that- well, uh, Stark just starts kind of like profiling right and kind of like yeah. pins pins the murders on her right there on the spot right and Pretty then much. they they go to try to arrest her and then she's like screaming and clawing and trying to get away from them she does that hilarious thing where she locks her ankles around like, this like, giant, you know, that, that giant yeah, tiki palm doll tree or whatever yeah and they cannot pull her away it turns out they did two takes on that 
And um, apparently uh, the actress being such a trooper that she didn't tell anybody, but she um, sprained or twisted her ankle mm. during that. Cause she, she's not an older woman. She's, but she's, 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 she's a little older. 40s or something at that time. Yeah. But she didn't tell anybody until after they had shot her thing, but she had twisted her ankle and it was like swollen. And so she couldn't do any more acting the rest of the day and stuff like that to kind of like, Oh, good thing that, you know, we have to just, shoot all your stuff and like and that would i'll get to that in a minute having her to shoot all of her stuff in like a single day all of her in, internal stuff so she could wear like the, the little brace around her foot and you, she could walk on it and stuff like that yeah so they did so i thought that you know just kind of cool behind the scenes stuff yeah that's that is cool so yeah so she gets the murders pinned on her they take her away and so at this point they think they have the killer right mm-hmm. what happens between basically lars and uh and chicklet end up being in the car together he's taking her home right yeah he wants to take her home because uh because her mom's going to jail and everyone else is kind of like wigging and then i guess they just don't want to be around her because of the split personality thing and just finding out that she accidentally murdered her brother it's a traumatic event and since lars already technically lives with them being the you know exchange student or whatever yeah and so he offers to take her home He's like, I'll take Chicklet home. All right, I'll, I'll take Florence home. And so that way no one has to worry about her. And so they go off to safety and everyone starts just trying to like, oh, I can't believe that Chicklet's mom killed all of our friends and stuff like that. And so they're always starting to think that way. And so they're they're driving in the car and they cut back to Starcat and, and all the other surfer guys, right? And Starcat has a like an epiphany, basically. And he wants to go look at that picture again that uh Berdeen found at, at Bettina's house right so they go back and they look at that picture and he draws glasses <laughs> on the little boy's face <laughs> and we realize that dun 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 Lars is the little boy in that picture that killed his family Lars is actually a Larry. little boy named Larry who murders Larry his, Elkins Larry yeah Larry Elkins who ended up murdering his entire family because his parents were midgets oh sorry we're little people my bad his parents oh, were little people and in, in interruption you hear you know what gidget stands for you know what gidget the brother named gidget comes from no girl midget oh god really yeah, yeah seriously i'm dead serious so again i wonder if this is where he like got that from it's a possibility yeah because I, I think he, he gives his whole backstory because he starts uh, unveiling himself to Florence, to Chicklet. Lars is like, oh, yeah, my name, you know, he's like, to watch such ugliness on the world and purge it. And she's getting a little freaked out. And he finally exposes himself, not, you know, he, he explains who he is and that his parents were little people, his sister's were deaf and basically everybody but him and his family had some sort of physical handy capability like being a little person being deaf being blind and it just one day he just woke up and decided to take them out of the world to make the world a prettier place which is a messed up way of of thinking for a little boy and even in a comedy it's still kind of a messed up thing what what was he saying what was lars saying the chicklet in the car to get her creeped out where she because she jumps out of the car you know Um, do you remember he's saying like creepy stuff to her he's not saying this stuff yet is he 
yeah he's 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 saying exactly that and then and she realizes that he's he's larry and so uh basically he start he doesn't say he doesn't lose his accent or anything like that but he starts talking about getting rid of these bad people and that he was unaware of her mental her massive mental uh deficiencies and how that that shouldn't exist in a perfect beautiful world and she right yeah that's right really creeped out and that's when she throws herself out of the car yeah you can keep going from here no yeah so she throws herself out of the car and basically they all end up at this she runs away he goes after her. they end up at this tower right i think it's the uh, projection screen right from the the drive-in, the drive-in movie from the movie, yeah. the, the, the whole movie started. The big roundabout was actually pretty cool. So yeah, he's he's after her. The, at this point, uh, Starcat and everybody they're 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 they, chasing they them back down. And... They're trying to find her. Yeah, they, they've put one and one together after drawing glasses on a child's picture. Yeah, so it's basically just her and and uh, Lars. She's running away from him. She's up at the top of the like you said the. The, ta- the, the tower that takes you up to the screen of the drive-in and basically is, i mean go ahead this is where kind of a cool thing happens but they they underutilize it but overutilize it where we get tylene again and she defends herself from lars by disarming him with this knife he's carrying and stabbing him with it and yeah. then and bowman fights back and like slaps him around and beats him up a little bit and so her her split personalities are switching back and forth between themselves to try and defend her and so i do think that was a, a pretty cool little trick but maybe they could have like established one or two other personalities as well but yeah i get it they didn't have the time and budget but i you know so at this point the personality is just coming out it's not being triggered by the circles or whatever they were coming out uh, back and forth depending on when they were needed and in the, their situation we needed to help keep chicklet alive yeah so like you said, she stabs Lars, he falls from the tower, splat, the cool uh, deformed-looking body outline laying on the ground with the blood splatter beneath the head, so we know he's dead. Um, at this point, she goes down, and now everybody's there all of a sudden, right? Uh, off, yeah. uh, Captain, uh, the captain's there, uh, Monica Stark, and then Starcat, everybody's there. Her and Stark, did, am I missing anything? Or does it basically her and Stark cat, they embrace Kanaka and Stark embrace and kind of go off happily ever after yeah, together? Yeah, well, he, he, he picks her up and like, I think he, oh, no, that's what happened. Uh, while she's defending herself, while Chick was defending herself, Captain Stark has climbed up the tower and she shoots him, which causes him to fall. Huh, both I completely the- forgot about her shooting him. Yeah, you're right. She shoots him and then they have to come. But he, down. She does stab him though, too, right? Oh, yeah. She stabs yeah. him at one point. Yeah, but that's not the killing blow. Right. You're Captain right. Yeah. Monica that's right. Stark shoots him on top of the thing. And that's what caused him to fall. That's right. Because I remember because I was thinking, I was like, how did they get together? Because like, oh, as they're climbing down the, the pegs on the sign, uh, Chicklet lets go and gets caught by Starcat, you know, and they walk away. And then the, the Captain Monica, oh, kind of misses a rung and gets caught in the great Kanaka's arms and they go, Oh, you know, they, they start hitting it off again. <laughs> yeah. Wanda. What she say about that? Like that, the way you hold me or that, that I know that grasp. 
<laughs> I can't remember the line, but <laughs> I can't either. I was yeah. like, I know those strong fingers anywhere yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, but I mean, basically, this is this is the end. She the the Sarkat and Chicklet embrace, and then we kind of cut to the Wizard of Oz ending, where uh, oh yeah, the where Chicklet's laying in the hospital bed, and it's uh we see characters from before. We see Junior there the guy with psoriasis we see uh i think tj was the other one like and, orderly and ronda like, was the and nurse. Rhonda, right yeah and she's like i know you're in my, you're in my dream you are too you are too so this has to be like charles bush's homage to i mean isn't wizard of oz like one of the like grand like oh yeah. gay opera theme type dorothy and so I, this has I, to be him maybe, like an homage to the that. rainbow and all that i could see it yeah. but i never really saw it as that but i could see how people could yeah so this this has to be kind of his little homage to that and but yeah so uh, you're you're in my dream you're in my dream you're in my dream and then she is there. receiving shock therapy and credits <laughs> no not credits yet it oh, cuts yeah. to it cuts to the, the couple in the car watching the that movie on the drive and they're like so it was all a dream what a ripoff which i mean was the movie that we were watching right yeah and what a ripoff! And then, uh, and then Ann Bowman jumps out from the back seat with a knife, and, and I can't the, remember the line the she Friday says. Friday the Thirteenth uh, type ending, which she comes out of the back seat. Yeah, and then, and then credits. And she's like, "You can never kill Ann Bowman, or Ann Bowman lives forever, or something like." Is that, that. what she says? Yeah, it's some like yeah. And then because the movie gets three endings. Yeah, I mean, it was like wild. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Wild Things, but it was like one twist after another. That's with um Nev Campbell and uh Denise Richards. No, Denise Richards and somebody. Yeah, Nev Campbell, Denise Richards, oh, Kevin, okay. uh Kevin Dillon. I mean not Kevin Dillon, but Matt Dillon Matt and Dillon. Uh, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, but uh, yeah, anyways, but yeah, it's like mm, like too many cop-outs there at the end in my, for me, but but yeah, like, so that's just like joke, we... like, like like joke endings, like yeah, what joke, like, it's like joke, 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 yeah. kind of done. So okay. Now that we're here and we've kind of talked about everything, this is my question. What was real? Or was it? I mean, because she she wakes up in the dream from the dream or whatever. She's in the mental hospital. At one point, does she go to the mental hospital? Did she really kill her brother? Did she I assume did, that she probably went to the mental hospital after she killed her brother? She never actually had amnesia. So she'd been in the hot the mental hospital since she was seven, or how she was like eight or nine. Yeah, since she was a young, a little girl. And that's that's how I saw it. But even then, that who knows if that ending's even real, based hmm. off the other ending of Ann Bowman popping up in the back of that car. So I'm not sure. It's one of those things where like, I get it. It's funny, but you could have just had an ending and stuck with it. Maybe. Yeah. So again, I mean, we've kind of talked about this stuff before. If if you if you can create a world with rules and live within those rules, then I'm good with it. I mean, you can you can do suspension of disbelief with me all day long, but when you just throw something out there just to throw it out there and it doesn't make any sense at all and there's nothing to back it up, that's when I start having problems with stuff. And again, I know this is complete camp and it's supposed to be fun, but it so I like jarring. something to make what it is jarring when it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's just easy, like in my opinion, like lazy writing. You know, just 
oh, I'm just going to throw this and I'm going to throw this in too. I'm just, while I'm yeah. at it, I'm just going to make this happen too. I, I, I can, I, I feel that a little bit. Do you have any, do we miss anything? Is there any particular scene you want to kind of touch back on that we may, I may have overlooked? I'm kind of scrolling through my notes here. I mean, that was my main thing that I want to kind of discuss was, and I was kind of reading some blogs and things like that about the movie. And a lot of people were talking about that and had their own little opinions, but I kind of wanted to get your opinion on what, what was real and what, what wasn't at the end. If, if any, any sense could be made of that, if I missed completely missed something. No, I, mean, I, I don't think any of it was real. I think that was the whole point was it's none of it was like, like the whole, I mean, she been she's been to the in the hospital since she was seven. Like nothing, never really. But then it pans as like, oh, it's all a movie, and then it, it breaks the fourth wall. But then Ann Bowman pops in the back of their car and kills them like Friday the Thirteenth one, where Jason comes out yeah, of the yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, it just gets confusing. And it was like right I'm, 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 it's too much. Yeah, it was way too much. If they had just I'll... not had Ann Bowman pop out the back of that car, I'd been like, oh, you know, it's kind of funny, huh? But then it, it just got a little confusing. Yeah, or if it, it would have been better, is if instead of being two people, it could have been Marvel and and uh, and Starcat going, Oh, that's not how we live, we live through those events, or something like that. You know, they were mad that the movie didn't, they could yeah. have been a little more play. Like, I thought like, the same thing, like, why have two just completely different people, like those two people in that car that she kills? I think aren't... that's the boy and the girl with the hair lip. I think, I think that's who oh, that was. Was. it was the same I, people. I think uh, it's the whole it's supposed to loop back around that they're white. Gotcha. I didn't I, I would have preferred it had that. been Marvel and or Star Cat or you know or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But what one, uh, one thing I always touch on each week or each podcast, I guess, is the music. But uh nothing I mean I, I say nothing special, but I think the music was cool the way that they did it because they they mixed a lot of different elements in. There was kind of like the the horror theme towards the end when, whenever we find out who Lars is. I, I did want to talk about that. Like, I did catch that. I like been... how he jumped back and forth. And I mean, like some Hawaiian luau stuff and campy 60s stuff. And uh, the guy did a good job, in my opinion. I mean, he hit all the right notes. And, and keep, in, keep in mind what you were going to say. I was just going to mention one other thing. There's, there's a group called uh, low straight jackets they're the ones that are performing at the luau they're wearing those masks mm-hmm. um, the lucha libre masks yeah yeah they had a couple songs in the movie but they're uh they're from nashville tennessee that band oh, really i didn't yeah. i didn't know that Los, I, didn't, I didn't look into them too much i didn't really like their music that much i was right. like yeah. so right yeah. are you yep. still around <laughs> Uh, no, it, I think they broke up in like the early 2000s. They got together in 94 or something like that from what I was reading. But hmm. and it sounds like they're one of those groups that had a bunch of different like revolving members. But but yeah, I didn't kind of I didn't really research them too much. But I saw that they were from Nashville. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. But go ahead. What was your thought on the music? I did I, the part you're talking because it's been like you said happy go luau music. But then once the reveal of Lars, it does it switch that. It's piano like dun, dun, it, it, it mm-hmm. actually that was i actually noticed that when i watched that it, it switched the music literally switched as soon as you find out like as soon as you get in the car it's a quiet mm-hmm. and then he starts revealing and then the piano kicks and it turns into like a psycho and like that was actually a really cool music change because I, I they talk about the music in the uh, in the commentary the movie oh, really? itself 
is like I think it's what 95 minutes long. It's not a very long movie. Of that 95 minutes, 71 uh, 71 of it, uh, 71 uh, has 71 minutes of music. Hmm. And of that, pretty cool. Yeah. And of the 71, 61 minutes of it was original music composed by the writer, the, the song composer, Ben Vaughn. So he wrote a six and wrote and composed and recorded himself 60 minutes of music for this movie. Wow. That's a lot of music. Yeah. Yeah. Because you count the opening credits, the closing credits, and the luau scene. Those are all probably the 10 minutes he doesn't have. And that's the low straight jackets playing that mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of music for this gentleman to write. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize all that. That's pretty cool. And I, I don't, uh, I do have some other kind of nitpicky, not even nitpicky, but just cool tidbits about some behind the scenes stuff. Do you have anything? No, I'm, I'm good. I do. Um, I don't want to hate on the movie too bad. But some of the some of my complaints about the movie was the director really wanted to do because, like I said earlier, if he wants to combine 60s beach movies, 70s psychodramas and 80s slasher films. But due to their very limited budget and their very limited shooting schedule, he had two choices, either shoot the movie or spend the entire budget on making these really cool uh, slasher scenes. And so they basically, a lot of the slashing violence literally happens off screen, which he didn't want to happen, but they couldn't afford. Because mm. the whole movie was like a, I think it was like less than $2 million. And the entire movie was shot in just 21 days. Mm. And because of that, some other cool stuff is uh, he couldn't do a lot of uh, zoom ins and have like, reaction shot reaction shot and have close-ups of the people because he didn't have time in the schedule to be shooting that many close-ups and that many reaction shots so literally the majority of all the scenes are long takes long shots i mean yeah i got you and so literally like and when you once they start talking about that and you watch the movie again you're like holy crap these are like all the stuff on the beach all those scenes when the songs are not a change in scene but like when they from the perfect example is from when the when the when the, the boys come in, sit their surfboards down, chit chat, wrestle, get covered in oil and find the hand. That's all one shot. And all he does is he just pans the camera around, but it's all one shot. Hmm. And they had to do that a couple of times because they literally didn't have time to do close ups and reaction shots. And apparently hmm. there's a lot of there's some one on one scenes with uh, Chicklet and Starcat. Every single one of those only took one take. Wow. Because they, 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 they would rehearse, 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 and then shoot. And um, the majority of, they didn't do more than two takes in the entire movie for any scene because they didn't have time. Hmm. So I'm like, I'm like, that's kind of crazy, especially when you consider some of the, especially, especially when you look at uh, Kanaka and all his rhyming stuff, no more than two takes. Yeah, that's no, I mean, that's low budget filmmaking. Man. That's that's how a lot of movies are whenever you have a low budget. I mean, you have no choice. And like you said, it's rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. That's all you can do. And especially with the theater background, I'm sure that they did a lot of that. You know, that's probably um, especially being a play. So they, they probably just rehearsed nonstop and mapped everything out. And then speaking of um, the Starcat Chicklet uh, monologue like dialogue with one another, 
there's an absolutely fantastic dialogue of Starcat explaining what he and Marvelland do when they're together. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, Chick was like, you know, because she's so in it. She, she's like, so Starcat, what do you and what do you and Marvelland do when you're alone? He's like, well, first we, you know, we hug and we cuddle and we kiss and then she takes off my shorts and pulls out my erect penis and slaps it against her face a little bit and then she starts cradling my balls and right as i'm about to get so excited says, oh that's enough <laughs> he goes into full detail mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's oh my god that seed was that's probably my favorite that was probably my favorite seed just him just going into detail and she's just shocked yeah it has to immediately flee from him. he's like what what you asked for this you asked for this <laughs> There were a lot of pretty funny little tidbits like that. There were. That's one thing I will give it to this movie. They they had a lot of different things like that. That, that and it's it's almost one of those things that the more you watch it, the funnier it is. You start kind of you probably miss a lot of the stuff the first time. You know what I'm saying? And, and the second time around, you just the, and the jokes get funnier and funnier. I I do have one other super quick kind of little funny scene that and then i think i'm kind of out of stuff but there's a super funny part where i i, I think ann bowman has taken control of chicklet for a good while she's fully blown chain she's and she comes into a diner that the the group has been frequenting throughout the movie and she sits down and they're like what is going on what are you doing because she comes in with like oh this tight red dress a boa some really caked on makeup and she's got one of those super long cigarette with a cigarette holder thing right. I, don't know, I don't actually know what it's called but you know what yeah. i mean and she's speaking to this waitress she's like now i give me a gin and blah 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 it's been a rough day and the waitress is like honey you're not even old enough to smoke and she snatches that cigarette off the her <laughs> little she pops her mouth and starts smoking <laughs> she mm-hmm. walks away from taking their order uh, ruth was the waitress's name and that part that part killed me that was just so smooth she's like you're not even old enough to smoke honey she pops it right off sticks it in her mouth is just because back in the day you could smoke inside diners yeah yeah, Ruth. Uh, the the actress's name was Ruth for the waitress. I think the waitress' name was Pat. But oh, she's okay, she it. was she was also a victim of uh, of Rhonda. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. Rhonda has something nasty to say to her. I can't remember what it oh, was. But... Oh yeah, she has something nasty to say to everybody. Yeah, which is why she ended up being probably one of my favorite deaths. She was decapitated and put on her wheelchair. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, no, she got her up and compens. Up and That was a great fake head too on the wheelchair. That was wheel. good. It was, it was funny, just spinning around and around and around. It was it was great. Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah, my uh, my closing thoughts uh, kind of mentioned everything, so I'll go into my rating. Oh, really? I mean, I'll just be honest. What's <laughs> you that? Have, you don't have anything else to add? We kind of talked about it all? Yeah, talked about everything. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we talked about the what was real, what wasn't there at the end with all those different twists and I want to make sure we mention the music. So I got everything in. So yeah, I'm ready to kind of go into my final, final thoughts on the rating. I'm just, I'm going to be honest, man. I didn't, I didn't get the joke, you know, the, the, I, I can just kind of put it that way. It, and I, I will say, I kind of just said it a second ago, the more we talk about it and the more I watch it, I think it probably would be one of those movies. It might be 
fun to watch with a group of people, you know, and almost like how the Rocky Horror Show became um, just going to see that over and over and uh, people just kind of laughing at those jokes together. I could kind of see this being like that and me liking it more and more whenever I watch it. But the first time I watched it, there were more situations like we talked about, like with Tylene, like things that kind of just, I, it, I, I didn't get, it wasn't funny to me immediately. And um, like that, that whole thing with that and a lot of other jokes. I mean, we, we might've mentioned like five or six things that we both really laughed at, but the majority of everything else, I, I it was almost seemed like it was filler and it wasn't really that funny to me. And this, again, the majority of it is just a, seemed like a big joke that I didn't get, but I will give it credit. I mean, there were a good five, six scenes or so that I really enjoyed that I really thought were funny. There wasn't any one real character that I was rooting for. I mean, uh, even with uh, Chicklet, it's just, just like everybody was just kind of, like just just a character on screen not not anybody that i like sided myself with or was rooting for their interest or uh i mean there wasn't really kind of outer motivation for any of them i mean at first you thought chicklet wanted to be a surfer and you were kind of were, were we rooting for for that i mean it, it was like the next scene she was surfing you know what i'm saying so and then she wanted to be with uh star cat the next thing he shows was star cat but it was just like there wasn't really anything that was like pulling you towards that character, like any kind of outer inner motivation that these characters had, in my opinion. So that was kind of lost on me. And that's whenever I watch a movie and enjoy it, that's like something really big to me is it's a it's something that that, that main character wants and you're rooting for them and you're trying to get to that with them. And I, that just wasn't in this movie. So I was kind of lost there. Again, I, I understand the camp. I guess they, you know, they did an effective job with what they were going for. And, and like I said, I, I think it could be one of those things where the more you watch, the more you enjoy it. But, you know, if, if I want this type of movie in this tone, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a movie called Serial Mom with Kathleen Turner, mm-hmm. um, Matthew Lillard's in it, Ricky Lake's in it, Tracy Lords is in it, but it's directed by John Waters. Oh, and see, I love John Waters. He's yeah. And stuff. I think this Charles Bush is like, kind of a John Waters Jr. I think he I think he probably idolizes John Waters in a lot of ways. And and I actually read something where he, they were at a film festival or something and this movie was or maybe it was Die Mommy Die, which is uh, the other one that uh, Charles Bush is really known for. Maybe it was Die Mommy Die a screening of that. I can't remember, but he saw John Waters there and he was like real flattered that John Waters was there at his screening. And so I, I think they probably had a good relationship and I, I think he looked up to John Waters, but this this type of movie, this tone, um, if you guys have not seen Serial Mom, I would recommend you watch that and kind of see what I'm talking about there. But that, that movie came out about five years before this. I think Serial Mom, or maybe six years, I think it came out in 94. So I think, I think he took a lot of the tone and things from Serial Mom and used that for this because they did seem similar. But Serial Mom, again, is just far superior. Sam Waterston's in it. Uh, 1994 yeah uh-huh serial like serial killer serial mom yeah it's a it's a hard r it's gory and that's another thing too i mean that like this movie didn't really have they had some kills in it and stuff but the serial mom has some pretty cool kills in it but again so i'm not I, i think the more i watch this movie i could like it more and more but for, and I told you guys before, I always give ratings on the first time I watch a movie. Yeah. And the, the first time I watched this, man, 
I gave it two man's sweaty things poking out of five. <laughs> two. Two sweaty men's things poking. <laughs> two man's sweaty things poking <laughs> from that line from uh, Ruth. <laughs> oh, yeah. So f- for me, I wanted to like the movie more than I did. I had already, because I had seen the movie before and I owned it and I remember I had seen it before. And I remember the movie being real fun and, you know, just real fun. But rewatching it, I, again, it's not the movie's fault. They had a, a super tight shooting schedule. Was, I mean, they still made, I mean, it's somebody's fault if it, if it ain't what you wanted. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's not what I wanted, but it's also not what they want because they wanted to do more, but they didn't have time. We could, so it's not, it's, it's, it's not entirely its fault. But for me, one of the biggest things, okay, I got a couple of things. You talked about character, you ha- didn't have any characters to root for. I get that almost entirely, except for I was 100% wanting Yo-Yo and Provolone to have a happy ending. I was rooting <laughs> for them from, from the get-go. They, you know what? I'll agree. I'm, those two characters did a great job. and They were really the only on ones that. that were like endearing enough. But to, to that point, though, that can't carry a movie. You know what I'm saying? No, that was a that was a sub 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 subplot. You know, but they were the only characters that I was rooting for. I was like, you can't kill one of them because that's just going to be real sad. I want them to have a happy ending. I want them to do their thing because they were. It was it was just you know fun, like you said, for sub 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 subplot characters. They're they're really the only characters I was rooting for because you know the main. They're not going to kill main characters and stuff like that. It didn't. It was almost too happy-go-lucky, and they weren't going to take any huge twists and turns and start killing off the main cast. But I was, they could have. But I was really hoping for Yo-Yo and Provolone. I agree with that. Now, as far as, because the movie's not what they wanted. Is they did the best they could. He wanted to have these big slasher things and people being decapitated, and he wanted you to be able to see the violence. But that that was also going to cost double what they had in funds to do all that stuff and so they literally had to do it all off scene and you don't even see the actual acts of violence half the time you you just see the aftermath and the fairly clean unbloodied aftermath of like the gentleman with his uh, testicle stuck in his mouth <laughs> right and so it's not their fault like it's one of those movies that would have been if they just got an you know a, a little bit extra the, the acting was good. Like I said, a, a camp action, or not camp action, but a camp comedy where they play it straight. It's always good. And when there's the straighter they play, they don't like wink at the camera or tongue in cheek situation. But for me, one of the biggest drawbacks was Tylene. I just didn't understand the point because it didn't serve a purpose. Mm mm. And, 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 and even when they, they break it down, they go under, they, Tylene was just not there. And I get it. It's campy. It's supposed to be comedy. And you said earlier, you can get away with a lot of things in comedy, but them whipping that voice out. Mm-hmm. It made me, I, it, it, I don't, again, I don't take notice of it very often because I, I just don't. If you're white, you don't normally care. I'm not trying to, but uh, yeah. Racist prick. Yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it it made it stand out more when they pulled out Tylene. I was like, wait a minute, there's there's no no one in this movie but a bunch of young white people. 
and we having literally and I'm not comparing the movies in any way, shape or form, but literally having come out of double indemnity, which is literally filmed in 1944. Well, racism was still a pretty heavy thing. Mm-hmm. They still managed to have a, at least it was, it was one. It And admittedly he was, you know, working, he was just cleaning cars and everything, but they had a respectable black gentleman. And he was, you know, he, nice he did he did you know he served he, he came in served, did the scene well served his purpose and they moved on and i'm not saying that movie was like oh that movie's not diverse that was also 1944 that was a different time era i fully understand that but being this admittedly this film was technically in like 1962 or something like that during the summer of love no is that 60s yeah 60s was summer of love right no is that 70s i think 60s yeah yeah so during the 60s i'm like okay cool and like you said, it's written by a, a female impersonator slash gay man and being diverse. I'm like, why couldn't there have been a few more, you know, persons of color? I'm sure there's some black people out there or Asian people that like to go surfing. Hell, Polynesian people definitely like to go surf. You know what I mean? Like it was and it's one of those things where I, it's not something I normally notice, but boom, the tylene. And it made me like really take a step. It brought me out of the movie and made me take a, like a, an analysis of the whole movie and go, man, that's kind of bad. I feel mm-hmm. kind of, and I laughed, I joked. I, I you know, the, the, and like you said, the, the, you didn't get the joke. I got the joke, but I feel as though maybe a better writer could have made it funnier. They honestly. I didn't have anything wrong with the directing, like the, the way he shot the, the scenes and doing the, the long shots is all creative and everything. But push comes to shove. I'm going to give it because there was only two that I liked. I'm going to give it two strong personalities out of five. <laughs> I really only enjoyed two of the personalities. I can't believe we both gave it two. Because it was, yeah, it's one of those things where I, uh, yeah, well, Blake talked about it to me off off pod just about it before a little bit, and kind of was kind of upset that he didn't like it as much as he wanted to. Because I remember really enjoying it when I watched it originally, like back in the day. And I'm almost, I and I we can cut this out of the podcast, but I'm probably going to sell the movie because I own really, it. and because it's like I'm like I don't think I want to watch that again. It really wasn't that funny, and and I don't want to hold on to the movie for. Like the three funny parts, I'm like, I can show someone else. Uh, well, out of context, you can't show them like the funny parts out of context on YouTube. You get it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm iffy. I might, but I, how much money would I get for selling the DVD to McKay? So I might hold dollar. on to it. Like a dollar, yeah. Yeah. If that, I might just hold on to the movie for who knows. But I was thinking about maybe getting rid of it because I, I just don't know if I'd ever watch it again. Will you watch any of his other stuff like Die, Mommy, Die? I might well, just to give it a go because I didn't ask. Absolutely... the only other, only other thing you can find? I mean, it's the only other movie he's done. Yeah. So I mean, Die, Mommy, Die is a, was a pretty big deal when it came out. I remember seeing that all over the place and reading about it. And I do want to watch that bad, bad actress that stars yeah. the mom. That, that seems like it might be pretty fun. Yeah. Good. So, I mean, Die, Mommy, Die has a pretty good cast in it. Francis Conroy, who was the mom in Six Feet Under. Oh, yeah, I do love Francis Conroy. Natasha Leone, Jason Priestley. I know again, Jay- from, so it's like, it's like he 
dove back into the same uh like well he got him some uh 902 and 0 people some six feet under people some like natasha leone that type of like dry humor yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna try to find die mommy die and watch that for sure all right so uh we got our reviews in you want me to go for the pick next week or is there anything else we want to add or nope i think we're good like you, you kind of had one a couple weeks ago. You were like, I think it was when you did Mayhem, wasn't it? Or was it Easy A? I can't remember. You were like, I had a couple different ones. Oh, that it was it Mayhem. Was Mayhem. I had yeah. a choice. I, I had a choice between two, and I settled for Mayhem. I was kind of like this, but it was like three or four, especially knowing that we had the the tenth episode coming up, and it'd be kind of put off for a little bit. But I went ahead and chose this one. And hopefully we've never talked about it before. I don't remember talking about it before. So obviously if we've talked about it, then I'll have to um, go to another choice. But I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. But it's a 2006 movie directed by a guy named Paul McGuigan. Paul have you guys McGuigan? ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever you start, whenever you start digging into this, I think you'll, you'll, I mean, you'll see a lot of the stuff that he's done. You, you'll recognize um but uh he directed it as stars josh hartnett uh, i do like josh hartnett love josh hartnett bruce willis morgan freeman ben kingsley i think i know i think i know this movie what uh, is, uh, it, is it lucky number 11 yep oh uh, we've never talked about this have we no uh, but i do love Blake, this like loves the movie already well, i don't oh, want to spoil spoilers but He's well, I mean, granted, he thought he loved uh, what's it called, too. Just now. I did think I thought I loved Psycho Beach Party, but okay, lucky number I own Lucky Number Slevin. Yeah, so I, I watched this movie when it first came out, I guess what 2000, I said 2006, so 15 years ago, too. I, I have not watched this movie all the way through since then, so I'm looking forward. It's always on HBO or Showtime or one of those channels, and I'll see like. 15 minutes here 20 minutes there but i have not sat down and watched this thing from beginning to end since 2006 so i'm looking forward to watching this again but i was again just not maybe maybe it's like three weeks ago i was watching tv and it came on and i was like man i need to watch this whole thing again i i i kind of forgot a lot of different pieces because it's one of those movies that kind of twists and turns yeah we'll uh I'll have a lot to say about Josh Hartnett when we get into the next podcast. So, so yeah, that's the, the next, uh, the next pick is uh lucky number 11, 2006. That'll be, that'll be fun. All right. I guess it's before you get, before they wrap it up here, I'm going to uh, go through the little bit of, I don't know what to call this section, but the, the internet, the internet, our presence, the, well, the thank, thanks to some people we've worked with and internet stuff. We always start by uh, thanking Greg Bennett for the intro song, title song, whatever you want to call it for the podcast. It's great, and we love it. I love, I love, I always actually play it every time I drop it to the podcast beginning. I always, I re-listen to it as I place it and listen to it all the way through. It's like, man, you're lucky to not got to you, know, you had the connection to know the guy to get that song. It's really, really awesome. Uh, we also want to thank Devious Pixel for the title art. Me and Blake have been using him for a couple of years now for various things for our our other podcast so it's always cool stuff if you want to keep uh track of what we're what we're doing on this podcast i i run the facebook and twitter i post uh, when we're going to record i post when the episodes are coming out 
I do do posts about the day before we record in case people want to write in any kind of questions or anything yet. People are still staying pretty, pretty shy about that aspect of things. But if you want to uh, write into the podcast for stuff like that, I do a post. It's just about, it could be anything. It could be about the, the movie, the movie itself we're talking about, or just general questions for either one of Blake or Steve. Don't bother me. I don't answer questions. <laughs> <laughs> Also, we have the email address, of course. Um, that was where we, you, you, the same thing, you write stuff in there. Uh, we, we do take listener requests. We currently have two, we have two right now in the pipeline. So uh, we do, like, if, you, if you've been sitting here, if you've listened to the podcast and you think, oh, I'll write in and then they're just going to ignore me and not, and not even consider my movie. It's not true. Uh, I don't, I've, I've received the request before and I run, I run them both by, uh, Blake and Steve, and the general idea is at least one of them has to be interested. Uh, if one of them doesn't doesn't really care and one's interested, we, we kind of are going to do it. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the general rule about that so far. So we've got two of those in the bag. So don't don't be afraid to uh, write in, and we will re- respond. We I don't know if we'll tell you right then if we'll use your movie, but we'll cons- we'll consider it. The last two things is our, of course, shameless self promotion. Uh, me and Blake do run another podcast or we have our own podcast. It's mostly about video games. We sprinkle in, um, I do some band, some bands on there too, a little bit. And Blake had, does talk about movies, but in a much shorter fashion, uh, he tries to be spoiler free on that podcast. And he only talks for maybe 15 or 20 minutes, which is what spawned this podcast. So he could talk openly without worrying about spoilers. And that podcast is uh, called Lock, Stock, and Two Smoky Controllers. Uh, Blake named that podcast. Because I'm good at naming stuff. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we always uh, promote Blake's writing because I always want to get him to write more stuff. He has a a short story published on uh, Amazon Kindle. It's easy easy to find there. You just search They Come This Night. It's the first thing that pops up. It's free if you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, or if not, give Blake a dollar. I'm, I'll do anything for a dollar. <laughs> I'll do anything for a dollar. Everything that I've mentioned, and I forgot to mention in the last episode, everything that I've just mentioned here will be, have, have, I have links to all of this stuff in the show notes in case you're too, la- too lazy to type into Google any of the stuff I've said. There's links to everything in the show <laughs> notes. And I think that's all I have. I think I remembered everything this time. And I'll let the guys wrap it up. Oh, thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks. Like like Drew said, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, till next time, I'll leave you with uh, just uh, simply saying, make sure you all see as many movies as you can. Make sure you see enough movies because all of life's riddles are answered in the movies. And uh, I want to wish everybody a good evening and good night. Rocket.